0: good morning this is energy radio this is episode 77 my name is lisa katz today i am filling in for matt lensink as the host of energy radio and i'm joined by one of my great colleagues alice van no who is our uh, project engineering coordination uh, at cem and so alice welcome to the show and how are you today i'm good thanks for having me on the show you are most welcome uh so before we introduce our guests Uh, Alice, maybe you could just talk a little bit about your role at CEM, some of the projects that you're working on and give a very short kind of background on who you are and how you got to CEM, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I joined CEM back in February of this year and I was actually a graduate from the University of Waterloo's Chemical Engineering Program back in 2016. So Mary and I already know each other quite well. Uh, Prior to joining CEM, I had done years of manufacturing as a process engineer slash project engineer, and now that I'm at CM as a project engineering coordinator, I'm currently working on several renewable natural gas projects.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much. And now to introduce our guests, uh, Mary Robinson and Andrew, I'm going to say it's Milne, is it Milne, yep. is it? I got it. Okay, perfect. Welcome. Uh, you both are from the University of Waterloo. Uh, welcome to Energy Radio. We'd love to hear a little bit about your individual backgrounds and lead us through your career, basically. Maybe we can start from with Mary uh, and go back as far as you like, Mary, if, even if you want to take it all the way back to childhood. We're, we're happy with that.
2: Awesome. Well, thanks for having me, uh, Lisa and Alice. Uh, My name is Mary Robinson. I use she, her pronouns. I'm at the University of Waterloo in the Faculty of Engineering. Uh, I hold the role of Associate Dean Outreach, Equity and Diversity for the Faculty of Engineering currently. Um, I'm a continuing lecturer, so that means I am basically a teaching faculty, really focused on uh, more course delivery than research projects. Um, I've been in The role, oh, as a lecturer, goodness, Andrew, over a decade now, long, long time ago, long time ago. (laughs) Um, Prior to that, um, so I did my undergrad at the University of Waterloo. So as Alice was saying, um, I definitely understand the whole co-op thing. After my undergrad, I went to industry. I was a Mr. Chrissy's cookie engineer for a little while. um, Did that for about four and a half years. Um, Had the opportunity to start working with the R&D group if I had an advanced degree which is what brought me back to university. Uh, So started my master's doing a combination with chemical engineering and coursework through food science at the University of Guelph. Started teaching, realized that's where my passion lay. And then the more I worked with students, the more I realized creating a a truly inclusive environment was what I wanted to do and an important part of the work that I do. And I have the pleasure of working with wonderful colleagues like
3: Andrew. So I'll toss it over to you. oh glad you put in the like you okay um (laughs) hi i'm andrew milne uh i am a continuing lecturer just like mary in mechanical and mechatronics engineering um let's see i was born and raised in kitchener uh if you draw a straight line from my family home to here it's about a 20 minute drive and it's a straight line so i decided i needed to go elsewhere after my undergrad um So I went off to uh, um, the University of Alberta for a master's and a PhD, and I had a a brief period of time down at MIT for a postdoc before getting back here to be a lecturer and a continuing lecturer at this point at the University of Waterloo. I am not a, uh, a chemical engineer. Uh, I am so I, I'm I'm gonna only have peripheral knowledge of of that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, I really do enjoy teaching. I really enjoy um, trying to help my students learn, and part of that is making the space be one that works for everyone. Um, I'm a male. I go by he him. Uh, not everybody in my class does. Not everybody in my class goes by he, him, or she, her. Um, yeah, I think I got the the order of that right. Um, and so, yeah, doing what we can to make it a, a more welcoming environment to, in the university and to help them be better prepared for the wider world in that regard is part of my job.
0: That's fantastic. And uh, for our listeners who do not see what we see on the on the screen here today, because we never show the visuals, Andrew has got a great hat on. I love it. So, uh, no, that's great. Thank you again, Mary and Andrew for your backgrounds. Um, maybe to, to start off, uh, you know, can you talk a little bit about the background of the University of Waterloo, you know, maybe the, the mission and vision of the university, uh, give, give us a little bit of a glimpse of what that looks like for you guys. Uh, well, uh, the University of Waterloo
2: is definitely a young school, uh, founded in 1957, so less than uh, a century old. Uh, we are definitely an upstart in a cornfield, as uh, some people will tell you. Uh, geographically, we are located in Waterloo, Ontario. Um From a more historical perspective, we are located on the traditional territory of the neutral, the Anishinaabe and the Haudenosaunee peoples. Uh, This particular part of Ontario has been very rich uh, in indigenous culture. It has been a meeting place, There are many uh, agreements, Uh, this is also governed by the one spoon and one dish wampum, so an area where everybody takes what they need but they leave something for the next person, so a very fertile piece of land where many cultures interacted um, since time immemorial. Um, The University of Waterloo is located on the Haldeman Tracks, so that's land that was promised and granted to the Haudenosaunee of the Six Nations. So they currently occupy less than 5% of the Haldeman Tracks, so down near Brantford is where you'll find the Six Nations Reserve. So that's something that uh, is something near and dear to my heart is we are in a rich indigenous area, there are tens of thousands of indigenous people, uh, Inuit, Métis, First Nations, um, but we don't see a lot of them in engineering. So really starting to look at that. Um, Engineering at the University of Waterloo has been around basically since the beginning. Chemical engineering was one of the first programs launched here. Uh, Alice, you may remember DWE, also known as Engineering One, also known as building number one that was built on campus. So after the farmhouse, That was the first building. So uh, engineering and technical education has been part of the University of Waterloo's culture since the beginning, um, as has co-op. Many of the people coming to the University of Waterloo back in the 50s, 60s, 70s uh, were people who had families, had careers, needed to support their family. They didn't come from money, and they needed to work while earning their education. So that's really given us an interesting culture of... um, Creative solutions. Is there a way that we can incorporate work learning with textbook learning? It, are there other ways of solving problems? And I would say that's absolutely defined our culture going forward as well. We are known as an entrepreneurial university. We spit out. Oh my goodness, I've lost a track lot. of the stats. On
3: the lot. order of 1,700
2: startups. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, startups.
3: Really? I thought you were saying students, not yeah. not. Okay. Oh
2: no. <laughs> No, we, yeah, and so this has resulted in things like Communitech being located here, Velocity, uh, the Accelerator um, Centre, AI, all kinds of things come from Waterloo because we just, we just do the things, we just make it happen, so. Yeah, yeah. and uh, as an alumna from the University of Waterloo,
1: I can definitely attest to the benefits of having a strong co-op program, and like Mary said, there are a lot of benefits and uh, opportunities to come up with creative solutions when you have that marriage of work experience and textbook learning so to speak and so a lot of prospective students that look at Waterloo yeah for sure one of the attractive points is the co-op program Um, now I want to start talking a bit more about attracting women prospective female students into engineering education and then even beyond that, the engineering workplace, so would you be able to speak a bit more about the Water- University of Waterloo's Women in Engineering uh, Committee? Tell us a bit more about
2: that. For sure. Um, So the Women in Engineering Committee is something that falls under my portfolio. It's something that exists across faculty, staff, undergrad and grad students. Um, The undergrad and grad students have their own um, subcommittees. So uh, the Undergrad Women in Engineering Committee is an affiliate of the Engineering Society. So they operate somewhat independently, but they connect into the main group. And definitely for things like recruitment activities, it makes sense to have that partnership there. Um, What do we do? We do all kinds of things um, from Girl Guide Badge Day. So what is STEM uh, for uh, anybody participating in Girl Guides, sort of age nine, 10, 11, 12, that that age group where uh, we know it's really important to make sure that women are getting the message that they are capable that math isn't just for boys and uh, my daughter is eight and it just about broke my heart last year when she came home and said, my friend said girls aren't good at math. And I, yeah, the face that Andrew just made, yeah, that "Mm, mummy got a little angry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So really creating those opportunities in a space where from a very young age, uh, the girls can Realize, yeah, I can do it. And there are other people around me who are good at this too. So she's actually at ESQ camp right now this week. And, uh, she walked into the classroom and she knew many of the students who were there, but they were boys from her class. None of the girls from her class were there. Um, but there are girls in the room, just not from her class. And the first day she was nervous, but today she, uh, she was getting dressed and putting on her sunscreen before I was ready to leave. So really, women in engineering is about disrupting the mentalities, the assumptions that are made from, from a very, very young age, and then helping support women all the way through. And uh, part of the reason that I invited Andrew here today to join us is uh, there's a role for men to play in creating an environment that is welcoming to women and more inclusive in general for non-binary folks as well it's not just the gender binary of men and women so uh, so you asked me specifically about women in engineering things yeah from girl guide badge day through go eng girl um, recruitment activities that happen through grade 11 and grade 12 to really encourage uh, young women to consider taking the physics and calculus and algebra courses they need for admissions Mm Um, And then support once the women are here. So whether it's uh, a yoga night or cookie decorating or resume help, uh, drop-in study halls, um, talking to mentors. So whether they're looking for co-op jobs and they want to pivot from doing hardware positions to software positions, there's somebody they can talk to about that. Um, And of course, going into uh, the levels like Andrew and I have. So how do you become a professor? How do you turn it into maybe it's a career in industry? How do Mm -hmm. you become successful? And how do you find your allies out there, men, women and other non-binary folks?
0: I I wanna touch on a couple of things that you mentioned there, Mary. Um, Mm -hmm. I I guess two part question for, for maybe both of you to answer here. So the first one is, you know, you mentioned about you know, young women getting in engineering, the comments about you know your daughter, oh math is for boys. Like she said she was eight, she's eight, right? like so so to me, like Our there's early. there's a <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. How, so how do we so here's the the two questions. One is, how do we start to change that dialogue? How far back in your opinion do we really need to go? like is it literally? From you know my son is four months and my daughter is two like literally from that age in terms of getting them to play with different toys or, or whatever this you know looks like. So that's one of the questions. and the second question is, I love what you said Mary, about you know' you're inviting Andrew on the podcast and the um, the the male perspective and how much and how important that is you know in today's world. So I'd love for Andrew to maybe touch on that and what that means to him. As, a, as an individual, and why he thinks men should be, you know, uh, proactive and really supporting women and in, in, in all of this to, to get
3: us further ahead. So those are two
0: questions, I don't know how you guys want to navigate the answers there and between the two of you, but feel free to, to go ahead.
3: <laughs> should I jump in for a second, Mary, or?
2: Uh, sure, I can take the first one second, that works.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say, you probably can handle the first question better than I, um, although I, I, you know, I, I know some of it, but you know it better. And certainly it requires, it, it, it's a, well, it's a leaky pipeline and it starts really early. And one thing that I feel um, about that is, is about who do you have teaching math and how comfortable are they teaching math in grade school, in high school? But anyways, I'll, you can say have a lot more than that and more intelligently than me. Um, to your second question, Lisa, um, really good question. So I did my undergrad here. I knew about women in engineering when I was here as an undergrad. I had nothing to do with it. Now, partly that's because it is, by and large, a women's space or a space for women. And so me as a man in engineering, it wasn't for me. Um, But, I mean, that doesn't mean there's nothing for me to do. Because if it remains women in engineering are the ones doing work to have women in engineering it's it's that's good that's necessary that sort of mentorship is useful and necessary and should keep happening but you need to make the whole of engineering a place where all people belong engineers solve problems for people they solve problems for all people Engineers are themselves people and should be all people. You want good solutions. You 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 need the best people in the room, and the best people in the room are uh, once we deal with all of this leaky pipeline, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you're you're going to have roughly equal per, uh, percentages of people being the best in the room, um, and so you need to make the environment one where women, where men, where uh, racialized people, where gender non-binary people, where where everybody is welcome, is supported, is doing their best work because we've got no end to problems in this world that need good solutions. Some of them need engineering solutions. Um, the ones that need social solutions actually need the same social solutions as the field of engineering needs. So, hey, get that done and we'll be in a hell of a lot better place. Um, Sorry, I'm being recorded. I probably shouldn't swear. Um,
0: (laughs) Thanks, Andrew. I think that's great. And Mary, did you want to take the first, (coughs) excuse me, the first question or...
2: Yeah, I, I definitely can. Um, this is something that, um, what do you know, there are research projects working on this, kicking away at this problem right now. So for uh, any of your listeners, I tossed a link in the chat to the Engendering Success in STEM um, program that's running, so it's uh, a multi-school, multi-year uh, shirk, so social science and humanities research grant funded project, multi-million dollar project, really looking at how do you interrupt the gender bias all the way through. So, from kids at camp uh, through to women in school, through to industry, through to faculty members. Um, And I can speak from experience, ESQ, a couple years ago, um, just before the pandemic and early pandemic, uh, we were one of the research sites for how do you interrupt this kind of stuff from happening. So there were activities that were run for the girls so that they could start to realize, hey, you know what, I am good at math in parallel, there were activities run for the boys so that they could recognize that they weren't the only ones who were good in math and to recognize that the girls also had abilities, even though they weren't the same. Maybe they weren't talking about the same video games, but really starting to fundamentally interrupt those biases that may be starting to build in. And there was one, I don't know if you took part, Andrew, but uh, I took part in the rise level interruption, uh, which was faculty to faculty. How do we support Um, women peers, non-binary peers, how do we show up? How do we address microaggressions um, so that we can get better at both recognizing them, but then being good allies and that bystander training so that we know what to do when we see something. Um, And this absolutely translates over from women to racialized folk to ableism, all of it. When you see something that's not right, giving you the skills and feeling empowered to do something about it.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. And I think, you know, we, we are at least very cognizant at home. You know, we, again, we have a four-month-old boy and a, a two-year-old girl. And, you know, whether this has something to do with it or not, but we're pretty cognizant of letting the, you know, our, well, he's a little bit too young to really play or know what he wants to do with either thing. But our two-year-old, we're, we're giving her trucks. We're giving her, like, boy, you know, I put in quotation marks, boy toys, girl toys. Like, we're really trying to raise her to be, a person and not look at the you know whether she's a, a woman or a man or you know, a girl or a boy you are a person and you can go into whatever field you want and and i've tried to do that through most of my career because i've been involved in essentially throughout my entire career male dominated fields And, you know, and we'll talk about this probably a little bit on the podcast in terms of the struggle that women face as they enter the engineering, you know, the the engineering world and how to retain women employees and so on and so forth. But I've always looked at it as I don't view myself from a professional standpoint, you know, if I'm a, a whether I'm a woman or a man, it's, you know, I'm a person and I'm doing the best that I can possibly do and whatever I'm interested in. I'm going to do the best that I can in that specific field, right? And that's always worked really well for me. Um, you know, unfortunately, I've also sat in many boardrooms where there have been full of men, right? And I'm the only woman. Um, and, you know, going back to my early days in my career, same thing, I was working in construction and mining, uh, you know, with those sectors, again, very ma- much male dominated. And if I thought of myself as a woman in that boardroom, or on that construction site, or in that, you know, in the underground mine, then I don't think I would have been as successful and I would have already been putting these kind of biases in my mind and that would have affected my, my career and the ability for me to perform. So, uh, no, that's, that's great. Really appreciate uh, that those comments there, Mary. Yeah. Actually Uh, a question for you, Lisa,
2: Um, were there things that your colleagues did to make you feel welcomed in those spaces in the boardroom where you were the only woman or in the mine where you were
0: definitely in the minority? Well, it's, it's yeah, it's a, it's a very good question, and I love how we rotated the tables because you're now the host. <laughs> I love it. I'm in the hot seat. Um, so yeah, I mean, certainly from a from colleagues' perspective, there was always encouragement. Um, the CEO that I was working for in one of the first major organizations I worked for, he was always you know, putting me in roles that I didn't even think that I was ready for. I've mentioned that in the pot, this podcast before, and that really helped progress my career. And, uh, you know, he had the confidence in me and because he had the confidence in me, all of a sudden I felt that I had the confidence to do the, do it. Right. So that was fantastic. Um, you know, I did have to, in some ways, work harder. I would say than some of my male, you know, colleagues, because I had to really make sure that I knew the product and was very knowledgeable, and was always, you know, uh, putting myself in in uh, in a in a seat of, I guess, high pressure in the sense that I, you know, wanted to always be the best that I possibly could, and you know, it, that translated into making sure my, my clients knew that I really knew what I was talking about right from the get-go so I could gain their trust and credibility. And that's some, some you know, that, especially in those days, you know, men probably didn't have to do it quite the way that I had to. They didn't have to work that hard, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I've I just, in some ways, I got lucky that I was around men who really supported everything that I was doing and saw my potential and put me in those seats and very, very fortunate for that
3: that's that's the that's the kicker is that like that's that's one of the implicit uh not biases but one of one of the implicit barriers there is that so there's comics out there that point out a guy goes up and messes up a a math equation on the blackboard man you suck at math a woman goes up and messes up the 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 equation on the blackboard man girls suck at math (laughs) like wait a (laughs) second pardon me like okay men men get to have the permission to be bad at it and at worst get judged as oh well you're bad at it and probably you know oh you're having a bad day women other underrepresented people it's it's unfair but way too many people take it as a you know representation of your entire gender um or whatever and it's it it's um it, yeah, it makes for more pressure. It makes for a harder work environment. It's just unfair. Um, sorry. Wanted to jump in. No, absolutely. Love it.
1: I, I actually think that, uh, you know, we we talked a lot about allies um, throughout the call so far. And I'm actually so glad that Mary brought the idea of having Andrew on the call because we we know that it's important to bring everyone to the table for these sort of conversations, right? I've had many experiences working with male colleagues that they admitted, you know, they, they want to help, but they don't even know where to start, right? And they're, they're aware that there's a gender gap in this field in engineering. And, you know, I've seen it myself where many women who pursue engineering you know, they, they start with studying it and they ultimately end up leaving the field because they don't feel a sense of allyship. They don't feel that support. So uh, maybe either Andrew or Mary, can you speak to how you think we can better this environment? And how can our male colleagues begin or be better allies
3: in engineering? It, it's a lot. You, yeah, you hit it on the head. You, you've got people, women coming in. It's already, you know, not at, at a 50 per 50 or even roughly their percentage for most programs in, in mechanical and mechatronics. It's somewhere between a low of, of around 20 and a high, I think, of around 30 here. It doesn't have to be that way. There are schools that have managed to get to roughly 50-50. MIT did. It took a heck of a lot of work. It took uh, very conscious action to recruit women as faculty to m- get every undergrad student mentored. But part of that was making sure that every undergraduate woman got mentored to see what they're calling an existence proof that you can make it through as a woman in engineering and and keep working in engineering um and that's that's just the start of what they did they've done a ton of work to do it but even then if you manage to get through the school you don't necessarily stay in the profession and so there's so much work to do there um and so much of that work is not work that the women should be doing because it's you know, if you're talking about the dominant, the current dominant culture, it's driven by uh, men, mostly white men, uh, mostly upper middle-class men. Um, and and so you've got a lot of work, we've got a lot of work to do to, to make, to break down some of those barriers, to make the place more inviting, uh, more welcoming, more inclusive. Uh, one of the things we're doing in first year mechanical and mechatronics is um, doing a viewing of "Picture a Scientist," the documentary about um, uh, women in in the science faculty at MIT back in the '90s. I want to say, um, and some of the hurdles they faced and what they did about it and what changed as a result, um, and then following that up with a discussion uh, that's led by some some internal uh, people from. Uh, from one of the the groups on campus and some external people, um, and uh, talking about male allyship, talking about the barriers that people face, that that women face, that people of color face, that non-binary people face, and what what that means, um, and also what can you do about it, and it's it's everything from calling out or distracting or or interrupting in some way. Uh, your colleagues and your friends from being jerks to thinking about what you can do to support people yourself. Um, but it's hard because, like, that's one program, one school. This is not a, a a small problem or a local problem. It's a big one and it's a pervasive one. So, yeah.
2: yeah. And, you know, you, you hit all the, the right points too, right?
1: And it, it's never easy to speak up. Right, let alone recognize that a problem is actually more significant than it seems. Right. So, do you ha- do you have any personal experiences or something that really stands out to you where you you saw a male colleague step up and really break those biases, whether it's in the workplace or academia?
3: Um. Yeah, actually, it was a lunch. Um. With let's see, we had some staff people there. We had some faculty people there. um Like it, it was, you know, a, a cross section of of some engineering, uh, different departments and 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 different groups of employees. And um, uh, one of my colleagues, mostly male. I mean, that's not by design, but just by the numbers, it's mostly male. Um, And that day, it might have been entirely. And one guy starts spouting off stupid jokes about uh, um, pronouns and uh, Mm -hmm. what they thought of it and making jokes about, you know, how they wanted to be called themselves. And it it was very clear that this was not a actual um, uh, heartfelt, real statement. And another colleague of mine just shut him down absolutely perfectly and it was just it was the textbook example of so you know i'm i'm really happy to have a conversation about what this all means to with you but i expect actually what you're trying to do is be funny and it isn't and it just ended right there it was just like ramp 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 funk and it just stopped and the guy just shut up (laughs) um and it was brilliant to see absolutely brilliant to see um so yeah uh there there's one example.
0: that's great. Uh, I want to ask you both like you know we we are an engineering firm. there's a number of engineering firms that are probably listening to this podcast as well as just other companies. And what I'd like to know, whether it's women in engineering or just women in the workforce in general, how can we keep women you know in the, we'll call the STEM field, put it that way. Um, You know, what what do managers need to do? Or what do companies need to do? What do executives need to do to make sure that we're retaining women through the course of their careers? Because as we know, many women end up going to have, you know, children at some point and then they don't return to the workforce and we lose women in engineering for, and just in, in other roles for various other reasons. But what needs to change at the executive levels to to keep more women employed in STEM and just in general. Do
2: you want me to take that one, Andrew? Sure. <laughs> um, I think it needs to start with conversations like this, and also um, helping people, inviting people into the conversation. So whether it's executives or. People on the floor are new engineering grads um, so that everybody's aware of what's going on and they understand the effect of comments like what Andrew was just telling us about Mm -hmm. that that lunch. Like that, that's one of those little toxic moments. That's, I wouldn't call it a microaggression. I call it a straight up aggression. Um, It tells people they're not welcome. So really hacking away at those because... um, In my experience and having spoken to other folks who have experienced, it might not quite be harassment, but it's definitely an unwelcoming environment. It's death by a million cuts and it's all the little comments. It's all the little things like in DWE, if a woman wants to go to the bathroom, you have to go up a floor and down the hall because there just aren't women's washrooms available. It's not a big thing. But it's a little thing that just tells you you're not welcome. Um, it's it's comments that are made. It's it's all the little things. So really having people in positions of leadership, I, me now in this role, my job is to speak. My job is to look at the policies and really kick away at them. Look at our our parental leave policy and stop calling it a maternity leave policy because everybody should be able to stay at home and take care of their kids. And no matter who you are, I want you to disconnect. It's not to be confused as a sabbatical. Um, And if you are going to treat it as a sabbatical, we will call it a sabbatical. It is not parental leave. Um, So really having people in positions of leadership shine lights on problem areas and kick away at them, um, whether it's policies, uh, whether it's looking at salary grades as well. Has mm-hmm. has anybody at CEM looked at what the women are paid relative to the men, relative to the jobs they do? Because the University of Waterloo started doing that about 10 years ago. Um, and there was a pretty significant discrepancy between what women were being paid and what men were being paid, and it was corrected. And when they went back a couple years ago, just to make sure everything was still sticking, that issue had been sorted. And now the the question being raised is, is there a discrepancy for racialized folk relative to white folk? So as the problems are found, having people in positions of leadership, really action where action is needed, money where their mouth is. Um, yeah, and we're not perfect. We're gonna make mistakes but inviting people in to learn more. Um, And that's the beauty of what uh, Andrew and the team in MME are doing with the picture of scientists viewing. It's a video you could watch on Netflix on the weekend if you wanted. We're just in class, we're gonna look through it and then we're gonna have a conversation about it. Invite people to join the conversation.
3: And we've had some fantastic Mm -hmm. conversations out of that. We've had women sharing their experiences We've got, I know for a fact, we've got non-binary people in our classes. I I know of a fair few. I know there's more. I know there's one who's who's very very open about it, and they've they made it known in that discussion, um, and uh, we've had men talking talking in there intelligently and talking about what they've faced and what they've seen and what they've they've seen others face. We've had women talking. We've had non-binary we've had everybody and it's been really good discussions and they're the sort of thing that you're not going to naturally have otherwise and certainly the people who most need them are not going to be exposed to them unless some action happens to make it happen even just for the ones who are sitting there quietly listening they're at least there hearing so it helps Mm -hmm. helps change the culture.
1: And I think that's so important. And from what Mary was just saying now about Waterloo's improvements in addressing the pay gap between males and females and how that has been addressed now in Waterloo is looking at racialized groups now, I think that's a great sign of continuous improvement. And I think that's something that many, well, all employers really should be striving for is that continuous improvement as opposed to thinking that it's, single issue that can be solved in one moment and then it will never have to be looked at ever again. So one of the main reasons why we love engaging with universities and colleges on these social issues is the collaboration is what really expands the reach on talking about this topic and inviting people into this conversation and collaborations through events, right? Like I know Uh, Waterloo's Women in Engineering, is hosting uh, what they call the What's Next and What's Now conference this fall. So would you two be able to talk a bit more about what that conference is about?
2: Yeah, so uh, What's Next, What's Now is um, a conference that is uh, hosted Uh, Every year, this past year, we had to do it online in January because Omicron. Um, But we're looking forward to being back in person in October. Um, It's a consortium of uh, engineering schools across Ontario. So the University of Waterloo, Ontario Tech Western and the Toronto Metropolitan University, formerly known as Ryerson. Um, So Saturday, October 1st, getting together women who are currently studying engineering at the undergraduate level. So what's next is for the more senior students of looking to that what comes after graduation and what's now is very much for the first and second year students how do you get involved how do you join the design teams Um, if you're in a co-op program or looking forward to something like a professional experience year, what skills do you need that maybe you haven't uh haven't gained yet either through the classroom or through summer jobs so that you can really be successful And uh, an important piece of that, of course, is connection with organizations like CEM who come in and run some of these sessions and are our mentors at some of the events. So I'll pop that link in the chat as well. Um, The registration is now open. Come on down. We look forward to having you join us. Yeah, and I think think that's one of several
1: opportunities that our uh, listeners who are employers Maybe be interested in. So would, would they be able to go to the homepage to get more information on not just what's next and what's now, but several other conferences, workshops, events hosted by Waterloo that employers can sponsor?
2: absolutely women in engineering uh we are perpetually running events um, from social events to opportunities uh for students through industry nights to learn more about employers and the kind of things that uh they do whether it's mechanical design or programming any of that sort of thing um lots of opportunities for employers to connect with us um we're always looking for sponsors as well for programs like uh go eng girl and things like that so if you'd like to uh to meet with people doing the things. Absolutely, we'd love to talk more. And I believe uh, Waterloo uh, has
1: recently started industry nights as well. Can you talk a bit more about when that's happening, when that next uh, event is happening?
2: Okay, so the timing right now, our students are just finishing up final exams. So we're in a bit of a quiet time at this moment, Uh, but starting again in September, That's when we're going to start running industry nights um i can't think of when the first one's going to be mid-september um and it's a combination of either people coming in to visit students so running a workshop on campus or we've got some planned into the new year uh, where students are going to be going to locations to see you know what does automotive manufacturing look like in person so uh yeah a great opportunity again to connect with uh, women and women identifying folk who are interested in that particular field, whether it's for a co-op job or looking for something after graduation.
0: That's very good, perfect. And, and, you know, Alice, you are, Acting as our co-host today and uh, on the podcast, and this is for very good reason, too, because CEM has its own kind of initiative to promote equality and, you know, retain uh, women in engineering. Can you talk a little bit about our 30 by 30 initiative for our listeners?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, Lisa and I, were both on CEM's 30 by 30 committee, and right now the committee consists of seven personnel and counting, and we are at almost a 50-50 split when it comes to female versus male committee members. And so our committee, our purpose is to primarily break down those barriers that female engineers face in the workplace. So we're talking barriers regarding biases towards women or even races, right? And this stemmed we formed in early 21, 2021, I believe. Lisa, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, that's
0: right. And
1: uh, yeah, so we this initiative in CEM stemmed from Professional Engineers Ontario's initiative. And the overall goal here is to increase uh, women in engineering to 30% by 2030. And this is to address not just the biases I mentioned, but, you know, historically women feeling disrespect in the workplace, you know, how do we, how do we address those issues, right? Examples constantly interrupted, or their input is not as sought after, or not as highly regarded. Um, their roles and responsibilities, you know, what sort of inherent biases are behind the roles and responsibilities that we assign to female engineers in the workplace. And, uh, you know, CEM has really looked through published articles, research papers that go behind, you know, why 30%, for example, while well, it's the critical mass for making significant change in the workplace. And there are proven benefits for having better representation uh, in the workplace. You know, better representation better representation for females in the workplace has resulted in improved governance, um, benefits in the financial performance, for example. You know, the NSERC, uh, National Sciences and Engineering Research Council of Canada, recently published a paper summarizing all these results. And so here at CEM, you know, we even though we're young, we've started um, making some major developments. So since rolling out this initiative company-wide, we've begun reporting our metrics to PEO. We've recently rolled out an internal mentorship program because, like I said, on the topic of allyship, You know, we need to bring everyone into this conversation. So pairing up the mentor-mentee, focusing on the mentee's career development, you know, striving for their attendance at professional development events, work opportunities even, and uh, just supporting female engineers in the workplace so that we're not just looking for hiring more female engineers, but looking beyond that, retaining them, really developing them to be the best that they can be. And so now this committee... Is going to continue looking for what's the next step? How can we do even better? And so that's why, like I mentioned, we collaborate with University of Waterloo, McMaster University, um, several other colleges are are in our our field of vision. And uh, you know that's that's our contribution to this whole social issue.
0: That's fantastic. Thank you for giving such a great overview, Alice. Uh, so I feel like we could probably literally have this conversation for hours. I don't know if, you know, if you guys are feeling the same way, uh, but maybe if, if either one of you, do you have anything else you want to maybe add or something that we didn't talk about that you feel is just really important to kind of get out there from a messaging standpoint?
2: I would just reinforce something that Andrew said earlier that everybody has a job to, to do, Um, whether you feel like you're just a a junior engineer, you're still part of conversations. You're still part of a group. And um, when we invite other people into a conversation, it can be really transformative, Um, whether it's helping somebody feel welcomed or helping to educate somebody who had a blind spot and didn't even even recognize that it was there. So really that this is something that everybody can do. And there are all kinds of great opportunities to educate yourself um, from free webinars to consultants who run training courses. Um, there are all kinds of educational opportunities out there and don't be afraid to, to start your journey. Um, there have definitely been moments uh, recently, especially where um, there have been phrases that I've used in the past that I have since scrubbed from my vocabulary. Um, the more you know, uh, the better a human being you can be. And uh, yeah, there's always more to learn.
3: I am I, um, not related to gender, but yes, there's a few of those that that I've done over the last five years or so. And a, a good colleague and friend of mine, they they have called me out on, educated me a couple of times of, do you know where that phrase comes from, Andrew? And then they explain I'm like, oh, I had no idea, no. Um, Which, that's actually something that a a different colleague of mine, it's one of his favorite sayings, is don't ascribe to malice what you can ascribe to lack of knowledge uh, at best or stupidity at worst. Um, And without a doubt, there's a lot of malice out there. Without a doubt, there's a lot of malice out there. But there's going to be times when somebody just does something stupid because they don't know, because they're unaware of their implicit biases. One of the best, well, one of the awesome scenes in Picture a Scientist, which really struck out for me, is that implicit bias test. And they have a woman who is a social science researcher who herself fails the implicit bias test associating female uh, words with career words is harder for her than than associating uh, male words with with uh, career words. And so like she's, she was the one doing the research and she herself sure. had implicit biases. And so that's not a malicious thing. That's not a bad thing. It's not that she's a bad person. It's not that any of us are bad people. Some of us just haven't noticed those implicit biases. And so, helping each other notice them is uh, counts for a lot. So. I
0: I love those final words, guys. Thank you so so much, and a big thank you to the two of you for being uh, you know guests on the show and for to Alice for inviting you. This has been a, a really great conversation and a conversation I think that we need to continue, uh, you know, outside of this podcast. So thank you very much. Uh, if our listeners want to reach out to you guys directly, what's the best way that
3: they can find you my, mine's easy think of the author of Winnie the Pooh A.A. A. Milne <laughs> it's actually A.J.B. Milne for me A.A. A. Milne's my my mother um not the long dead British male author um uh but yeah I I'm the only A. Milne on uh, on faculty here so think author of Winnie the Pooh and you'll find me Okay, cool. And are you on LinkedIn as well, Andrew? I I am on LinkedIn, yes. Uh, And uh, those are my two main ways to connect.
0: Okay, perfect. That's great.
2: And similarly for me, I am the only Mary Robinson currently at the University of Waterloo. So mary.robinson.uwaterloo.ca will get to me also on LinkedIn if you'd like to connect. Love to continue this conversation.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you very, very much. And a big thank you, Alice, uh, to you as well for acting as our co-host today. You did a fantastic job. It was great to have you review our 30 by 30 initiative and have you on the show. And of course, to our listeners, thank you very much for listening in. Uh, without you guys, this show really wouldn't be the way it is and uh, as successful as it is. So thank you very much. Uh, this was episode 77 of Energy Radio, and if uh, my name is Lisa Katz, and if you have any questions or you want to reach out to me directly, want to give us a review, uh, or want to uh, suggest some new guests for the show, please feel free. You can reach me directly at lisa at cem dot sorry lisa at cemeng dot ca. And Alice, how can what's the best way for people to reach you if they want to reach you directly? Uh, so I'm also on LinkedIn, and feel free to email me at alice dot-
1: V-A-N-N-G-O at C-E-M-E-N-G dot C-A.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you again to everyone. And uh, I will definitely be reaching out to connect with you guys on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, looking forward to future conversations. Thank you again. Thank you both. Thank you. All right. Have a wonderful day, guys. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.